Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. I'd like to read this Bible declaration. How's everybody doing today? Are you okay? All right. I see Jesus on many of you guys today. Thank you for allowing me to speak into your lives. I believe that today is going to be very impactful. So let's read this before getting into the Word. Say this is the infallible, undisputed, and inerrant Word of God. Today, I open up my heart, mind, spirit, and soul to receive from its truths. God, come on, say that with conviction. God, I thank you that fruit will abound to my account as a result of reading, hearing, and applying your word to every area of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Remain standing out of respect for God's word. I'm going to read two passages that I have read a few times now. It's all surrounding Jesus's baptism first and then what immediately happens afterward. And it's found in Matthew chapter three, verse 13 through 17. And then we're going to go to Mark, excuse me, Matthew chapter four, verses one through 11. If you don't have your Bible, it will be up on the screen for your reading. I want you to pay close attention to something I had never seen in this particular scripture. Okay. So I might make one small pit stop. Matthew chapter three, verse three. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. Now, I have to just one second tell you that Jesus had not yet um, done any miracle. There was no miracles that had happened. He was 30 years old. The miracles were about to start. Say they were about to start. But there wasn't. Not one blind eye was opened. Not one sick person was healed. Not one paralytic had walked. But he comes to the Sea of Galilee to, to John to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you are coming to me. And Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he answered him and said, permit it to be so. And then he allowed him. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water Now watch this. And behold, the heavens were opened and he saw, say the Holy Spirit. He physically, he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, aligning, now watch this word, upon him. I'm I'm gonna read it again and then I want you guys to, to declare really loud upon him, okay? So he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and aligning Upon him, it was upon him, say upon him. And suddenly a voice from heaven came saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, Matthew chapter four, here's what happens right after Jesus gets baptized. Oh, I feel the Lord. Was God already in Jesus? Yes, it's okay. Was God already inside of Jesus? He was who? Who?
Who is Jesus? The, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the chosen one who was foretold all the way from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation before Abraham was? I am. He was the great I am. He was in the beginning. John chapter 1. He was in the beginning with, and he was the word and the word was with God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was in the beginning. He is the beginning and the end. Can we establish that? But watch this. So God was in him, but now we see for the very first time something descending not in him, but upon him. So we get to Matthew chapter 4, and Jesus is about to go into the wilderness, say the wilderness, to be tested. And I really believe that the reason he was being tested was not what was in him all by itself, but what was upon him. I'm going to get to that and it's going to be really good. Somebody say, get ready, get ready, get ready. Matthew chapter four, verse one. Then Jesus was led by the spirit, the Holy Spirit, not the devil, into the wilderness to be tempted by who? The devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter had come to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. We talked about that uh, in previous weeks. We're going through all three temptations. But Jesus answered and said to him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This next one is the reason what I, this is what I want to talk about today. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give God, God shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And this is what you always have to say to the devil when he torments you in your thoughts. Say it. It is written. Yeah, speak the word. Somebody speak the word. Say, speak the word. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And that concludes our our reading for this morning. You may have your seats. I, I, I'm learning this. I get, uh, I might seem a little bit feisty this morning. I, I'm, because I'm, lear I'm learning something. I'm learning something. Anybody in a season where you're learning something? Where you're facing some challenges? Things are getting harder. The world's getting darker. You're learning something new about your spouse that you hope to have never learned. Learning how to overcome certain obstacles you never thought you'd have to learn to overcome. You're learning how to hold on to Jesus even when you don't hear his voice. You don't feel his presence, right? Learning to walk by faith and not by sight. All of us are learning something. This world, this world that we live in is a classroom, a dress rehearsal, really, to get us ready for eternity. So we're always learning. And you know what I found out is when we can't hear God, when we won't listen to his convictions, what he, what he starts figuring out is 
he's not going to learn, Donnie's not going to learn, or she's not going to learn from reading my word, so I have to use circumstances. Did you hear what I said? When we don't have sensitivity to the Lord, the Lord is not forced, but in a way he's forced to use circumstances when we're not sensitive to him. God's way is more like, hey, this is what my word says. Walk in it, live in it, abide in it. This is the way of the believer. But because we oftentimes lack sensitivity to him. My mom was young when I was younger. She would say, follow what's in your heart. Now my mom don't say that anymore because she's seen where my heart got me. Come on, all the ladies say amen. When we, when we, because our heart is deceitful above all things. So sometimes our heart leads us into ways that aren't God's perfect will for our life. And then you find out in the end that it was not his will and you thought it was. So sometimes God will use circumstances to correct you, to redirect you, to counsel you, to strengthen you, to teach you to learn what his will is. And pain is sometimes the best way that God uh, can lead you. Come on, who's ever had a child before that won't listen? They're going to run out in traffic and you have to, you know, hurry up and grab them and you give them a little something on their rear. Are we even allowed to do that anymore? Go to jail over that stuff? Or you tell them no or you sit them down and you correct them because you don't want them to say, you don't want them to put themselves in harm's way. That's what correcting will do. And God does that oftentimes. And so I, I'm, I'm learning some things and the Lord is correcting me on specific things that I, that I didn't see before. And there's something in this patch, passage that I, I feel is worthy to park there for a moment. Can we do that this morning? Um, and I can scripturally back it up and I'm gonna try because everything that I say this morning must be scripturally backed up and I'm gonna build this framework this morning. I'm gonna... I'm going to give you two verses of Scripture that I, that I have learned, I'm, and I want you to learn it this morning. Are you excited? All right. Verse 1 in Isaiah 61, verse 1. It says this. The Spirit of the Lord God is in me. What does it say? Come on, say it loud. Y'all let me read it and didn't correct me. The Spirit of the Lord is he didn't say in me, is upon me. Say upon me loud. It is upon me. This is a quote from Isaiah and Jesus would also quote it in the New Testament when he would read the scripture out of Isaiah in the synagogue when he went there. He wasn't invited to church after that. And he reads this. He said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Remember when he was baptized, he came up out of the water and he saw the spirit of God, the dove that represents the Holy Spirit, coming and aligning what? Upon him. So Jesus goes on to say, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening prison to those who are bound. In another verse it says to open their eyes uh, because they are bound from darkness. Amen? So listen to me. This scripture right here is there, there's, there's a couple different anointings. Has everybody heard the word anointing before? It's like an endowment, an empowerment to do something. This, this type of anointing is for service only. For God's service, to do something for Him. Say, to do something for Him. 
to help expand his kingdom, to minister to people's needs, to do a certain something or to fulfill a certain calling on your life. It doesn't have to be ministry. You, <laughs> the disciples in the New Testament, the Bible says, needed anointing to wait on tables because it was so demanding. Stephen said the spirit was upon him. He was, he was like a, uh, he was empowered to serve people. No matter what it is you're doing in your life in order to do it absolutely effectively and to do it, achieve it at its highest level, you need an anointing to do it. If you're a teacher and you're not anointed to do it, don't do it. This is why some of you guys uh, are anointed to sing. And some people, they're, they're out there that, that fee- think they're anointed to sing. You understand? Some people feel they're anointed to do something when God really hasn't anointed them. Anyway, people have sent us videos before. They're like, I'm anointed. I want to sing. I'm like, really? Send us a video. And then they sing. I'm like, well, maybe the anointing only flourishes when they're in the shower. I don't know, you know, because, you know, everybody's anointed when they're in the shower because they, you know, you'll get it later. Now watch this second anointing. 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. It says, But the anointing which you have received from who? Who did it come from? From God, capital H. Where's it at? Is it upon him? No. The anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And this kind of anointing doesn't just, you don't just get it because it's, it's not a gift. It's not just given. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you and you do not need anyone or even any pastor or bishop or prophet to teach you. But the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie just as he or it has taught you. You will abide in him. All right. 30 years, Jesus is in preparation in Matthew chapter 3. You don't see any miracles. You don't see any signs. You don't see any wonders. No dead raised at that point. Is he anointed? What does the word Messiah mean? Tell him. It means the anointed one, yeah. He was anointed. From the beginning, he was anointed. He was the Messiah. Say he was anointed. It was in him. But he didn't get tested until another anointing. The Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove. And then he gets driven in the wilderness to be what? Tempted by? Because then the test comes when something gets put on him. Do you know, you know why a minister can go preach and then go sleep with a woman? Because there is an anointing on him not in him. Do you know why there are certain Christians that you know right now who talk the walk? Who say it but can't do it? Who will rakaka and shababa in one breath and cuss you out in the next? Because 
there's somebody who said to me the other day, I need to be, Tamaki's stirring in her seat. She's love, I don't know if she's loving this or she wants to correct me. I'm not sure which one. <laughs> Guys, I need you right after service to surround me quickly and usher me out the back. We need a door right there. I have seen, are you guys okay? You want to hear this? What I'm learning? This was so powerful. It spoke so deeply to me. And I started understanding why so many people fall away from Jesus. 30 years, 30 years. Jesus is getting developed by the Father. Remember, he was in the synagogues when he was 12 years old. He was listening, answering questions. He was getting fed. What was happening to him in that secret place before he was promoted? The anointing was being developed on the inside of him. And this is the most critical anointing that anybody can receive is the private anointing that God puts inside of you. And most people want to get in their calling. They want the success story right away. But if the Spirit comes upon you for service and you don't have sustenance in, on the inside of you to carry the weight, what he carries you into, what the anointing carries you into will kill you if you don't have something internal on the inside of you that will stick it out with Jesus no matter if the money comes, if the calling gets fulfilled, when the distractions come, the anointing on the inside of you is much more important than the anointing on the outside of you. I learned this, that the anointing on the inside of you, give me your arm, lock arms. I know it's weird. I don't want to grab a female. I'm married. The anointing on the inside of you keeps you close to him. Anytime you sin, oh God, I'm so sorry. I'll never do that again. And you, you'll sit down. You won't have to tell that person to sit down when they've sinned. They say, I, I can't be in this. I can't do this for Jesus. I need to have a seat until I'm right with Jesus. The anointing on the outside of you is only empowerment for service. It's nothing to do with closeness. You know how I know? The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. So he can leave you and the gift stays. That is the scariest thing to me is if I can still function in some, they say, oh, was that real on TV? Was the power of the Spirit real? And I know that their life is compromised and I see them laying hands on those people falling. Is it real? Absolutely. But they're only used and then they go home and then it lifts. I was driving down the road the other day, scary. You know, the boat, the fellowship, the church's boat. It's called the fellowship. Rick didn't even give that one. I did that one on my own. <laughs> sounded like Rick. Sounded like something you'd say. We hang out way too much. I was driving. I was taking the staff out. We were going on a, on a scallop trip. And the trailer tire began to pass me. It's true. With about a 5,000 pound boat, maybe it's 3,000, but it weighs as much as a car. At least it started passing me. I'm like, this is not good. This is going to cause an accident. All of a sudden, it hit me. It hit me this morning. It hit me this morning. 
the trailer which holds what's on top of it is more important. The anointing on the inside is what's important. The thing that keeps you, the gifts are not important. The gifts are not important. He's the most important. And what keeps you close to him is the most important. The anointing on the inside of you, Rick, will support the gift. I'm gonna tell a little quick story. Is everybody okay? Y'all look so serious. This is all about anointing. This is... The, this is, this, is, this is a caution to the church. This is a caution to the believer. Don't get so focused on doing. Make sure that the anointing grows within. How is this, how is this cultivated intimacy? Private time with the Lord. You can get good at what he's called you to, but if that outgrows the anointing that he's put on the inside of you, the anointing to keep you close, that which he has given you will destroy you. I watched it with my own eyes men and women of God that I love so deeply. I remember I was the, uh, I was probably the only Caucasian at this church. I, the church name doesn't matter. I was there for several years, grew there so significantly. Man of God, God, he was such a man of God, holy man of God, so holy. And, you know, I was like member of 4,200 or something. But then we grew to about 10,000. So, so I would, I mean, I was at church all day Sunday, throughout the week, three days a week. I mean, I was at church. We called it church. Yeah. And, and it was so, it was so amazing because I've, I've seen revival happening. The church was thriving. It was growing, but it was growing too fast, too fast, too fast. And, and what I've what I seen is something begin to happen because the anointing on the inside of you, like I said, it's to support what God puts on you or gifts you to do. And you can keep doing that thing and God will continue to honor it because he's given it to you. Like if he's called you to be a healing evangelist, he's called you to be a minister or he's called you to be, you know, whatever it might be. It could be a stay-at-home mom, whatever he's gifted you to do. The gift will stay and you can continue to hone in on that gift and sharpen it. And what can, has the potential to happen is the gift outgrows the inner anointing that he's put on the inside of you. And that's when the danger happens. Is when, when my trailer could no longer support the boat. You, you understand? Things can begin to break down. Like, you know, when you feel too responsible for things and you begin to get crushed under the weight of all these responsibility, children, finances, life, marriage. Come on, am I talking to anybody? All that begins to crush you. Do you know what that's a sign of? You're beginning to lose intimacy with him and the responsibilities begin to crush you. You begin to wane away from Jesus. That is a sign that you need to get in your prayer closet and get into the intimate place with Jesus because the intimate place with Jesus holds everything up and enables you to do everything else effectively. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I watched as this massive ministry worldwide, the responsibility began to grow faster than the anointing. People were showing up and you could literally sense the anointing lifting almost every Sunday. More and more and more.
That room I used to go into and I would tremble. I would walk in that room, I would tremble. All of a sudden was a chill over my body. You would go there, the messages stopped landing. You can never, you couldn't feel the cool, crisp air where the Holy Spirit, you sensed him once before. It all began to lift. And, and this, this is the key. Can I tell you the key? The key is the more responsibility God gives you, the more responsibility, the more tasks that he has you do, the more you work for him, your, your intimate time with him also has to go up as the responsibilities grow. Because if not, you will begin to wane. You will begin to wither. Does everybody hear what I'm saying this morning? It has to grow together simultaneously. Some people I know that they, they, they kind of need both. There's some people who are very intimate with the Lord and kind of don't do a whole lot for him. Right? And then you've got these other people who are very, very gifted but spend no time with Jesus. We have to grow both up. We have to grow in the anointing on the inside. And we have to cultivate it. Say, I have to cultivate it. Yeah, we have to cultivate intimacy with him. So let me get back to this verse of scripture. Let's talk about the pinnacle of the temple. I'm going to read it again. Is that okay? Is everybody good this morning? Can I take a few minutes? Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. I want to talk about that. The pinnacle. Say the pinnacle. That's the highest point of the temple. And said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. The devil is quoting scripture to Jesus now. He shall give his angels charge over you. You know him. You know he'll save you, Jesus. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. But Jesus said to him, it is, again, he said, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. I wish I had a picture. Actually, that is the temple on Israel's banner right there. That is the temple. Now, most of you can't see it because um, Rick is in the way. No. You can't see it because it's lower. When you have a moment and you go by it, you'll be able to see it. This is the actual temple, which would have been, uh, you know, Solomon's temple. That's what the infrastructure uh, kind of looked like. Now, in the southwest corner would be the pinnacle of the temple. I wish I could put a picture up. I can't. I don't have time to, for the team to send that to you. But it was really high. It was, it was squared off, just like where Rick's right hand is to your left. And this is where the devil is telling him to go up on and jump down. Now, this was situated in the southwest corner of the temple. Now, why is that important? Is because many people would gather in that area and walk up to the temple for worship. And so the devil knew that if Jesus would obey this and Jesus were to jump down, many people would see Jesus performing this miracle jump with a spiritual parachute and come and float down and they would recognize, because this is why he said, if you be the son of God, throw yourself down. He wanted Jesus to prove that he could actually fly. Now, one day Jesus would show that he had power over the elements. Where's a verse for that, pastor? Well, if you look in the New Testament, when Jesus was on the water and there was a storm, the Bible says boisterous winds, Jesus commanded the winds to what? Be still, and they would grow still. What, what the devil was trying to get Jesus to do what Jesus was trying, what the devil was trying to get Jesus to do was show himself to be the Messiah prematurely. Yes. 
before the anointing. Don't tell me Jesus didn't grow. He grew in wisdom and you got it. He was 100% man, which means he needed growth, but he was 100% God. 100% man, say 100% man and 100% God. So guess what? When you are entrusted with something, see, when God gives me a new task, I kind of get a little bit afraid. I'm not going to lie to you. Because you know what? I, they were praying for me in the back that the Lord would do some fresh things in me. And, you know, most people get excited about that until you've been walking with the Lord for a little while. Then you start finding out that new devils or new levels, you get it. So when they see I'm crying, I'm like, Lord, give me greater anointing. I'm not like, yes, let's go, Lord. It's like, Lord, mature me, grow me, establish your word in me. Help me to stay humble. Help me to stay meek. Help me to continue to love people. Help me to not even be able to see myself. May you be so bright and and, and so predominant in my life, I can't even see me. Keep me low to the ground. But this is, you know what the devil was trying to tempt? Jesus, so he, so he gets this responsibility. The anointing gets upon him. What was that anointing? The anointing to preach the gospel, to heal the sick. But then the test comes. The devil knew he had no, nothing in Jesus because Jesus had the anointing on him. 30 years, Jesus was silent, growing in the anointing, growing in wisdom, growing in stature. But as soon as the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, the test came. You know when to test somebody? Promote them. Give them something. Give them a ministry opportunity. Give them a business. Most people, the people that I've known before they've gone into business with me, I have people who work with me. I find out, you know, they're nice, holy too. And then you make them a boss. And you're like, who is this? You know someone at your job like that, don't you? Like he was really cool until he got promoted and made more money. So what was on Jesus gets tested by the devil. And so here's essentially what happened. Jesus goes to the pinnacle. Now let me describe. You don't know what the pinnacle was? It, was, it, it still exists today. It, 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 it sits on the bridge right on the cusp. If you're standing on top of it and you look down, it's about three or 400 feet down. And what makes it so deep, it's the only, one of the only places around the temple uh, that has the Kidron Valley there, which makes it even deeper. Now the Kidron Valley has filled up a little bit. It's not so much of a, it's more like a ditch now, but it's still a very far drop. And this is where the devil is commanding Jesus, hey, jump down. The angels are gonna bear you up, at least you dash your foot against a stone. But you know, you know what I believe that the devil was tempting? Now, Jesus would one day would need the people to look at him. Remember how in the, Jesus said, even so, even as Moses lifted up the wilderness in the, even as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, even so the son of man must be lifted. Do we remember that? Now, in the Old Testament, when people would get healed is when they would look up at that. Do you remember? Now, Jesus would need people to look at him. In order to be saved, we have to look at him. But you know what I believe the devil was testing in Jesus? The need to be seen. The need to be seen. 
If you have a need to be seen in you, if you do something, forget ministry, ministry, your job, where you're doing things to be seen, we're falling into this second trap. We talked about the lust of the flesh. Now we're talking about the pride of life. He was trying to get Jesus. Now, now listen, this is so powerful what I'm about to say is that I was sitting, I was sitting studying this morning. Now, in the end, Jesus would do what? When he would, he was, let me give you the chronological order. We got the birth of Christ. Say the birth of Christ. Then there's the developmental stage when he was a youth into his 30s. That was the 30 years where Jesus wasn't doing any miracles. He was simply in process. Say process. Then the Holy Spirit anoints him for three and a half years of ministry. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me to preach the gospel to the poor, etc. So there's three and a half years of that. Then we get into the crucifixion. Then we get into the burial. Then the resurrection. What happens after the resurrection? Say it. That's right. The ascension. Devil's always wanting us to do things backwards. It didn't land on him, Mom. What was the devil trying to get Jesus to do? Go where? To start with ascending and showing himself Messiah. See, people in church these days, in their job or in their pursuit of success, they want to be seen first and then get processed later. See me. What we don't kill in us. The one thing God will not do in us, by his grace, he will help us do the killing. Like, do you know when Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, God doesn't do the plucking or the cutting for you. He gives you the grace to pull the knife out on yourself. Spiritually. Rick always, look at Rick's laughing over there. I want to read this scripture to you. Can I keep going for a few? Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 12 through 19. Scholars believe that this that I'm about to read is the description of Lucifer before he became a fallen angel. He would become Satan. It says this, Son of man, take up lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord your God, you were the seal of perfection. He's talking about Lucifer here. He was the worship angel. Say he was the worship angel of heaven. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering the sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes. He was a worshiper. Was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub. See, he was an angel. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were, you were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in all of your ways from the day you were created till iniquity, pride. This is the most dangerous thing about pride, getting mixed with the power of God. 
it's the only it's the only spirit that is allowed within the presence of God. Did you hear what I said? Who can still function at a high anointing and it not lift? Pride. We'll talk about that later. Till iniquity was found within you, by the abundance of your trading, you, came, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you out as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. Your corrupted wisdom for the sake of your splendor, I cast you to the ground and I laid you before kings that they may gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst and it devoured you. And I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who sought you. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished. You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. I was reading this book. And in this book, it was talking about this gentleman who was in a war. It was a spiritual vision that Rick Joyner had seen. It's a great book. And said he had a, a garment that was called the cloak of humility. The Bible calls it the cloak of humility as well. Anybody ever heard that before? The cloak of humility. Jesus said, put on the cloak of humility. Or the Apostle Paul, excuse me. Well, as this gentleman began to fight, he began to win this war against these demonic powers, these entities. And in the book, it says because this cloak of humility was minimizing and, and kind of confining his movement, he began to take the cloak of humility off. And underneath it, he had lots of big, shiny armor, shiny armor. And then he began to lose the fight because the glare from the armor does everybody get what I'm saying? And this is what we do. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This is what we begin to do when we seemingly begin to win our battle. We start taking off things that we think are no longer needed and we begin to work more for Jesus. We begin to win the war. He begins to bless us with our business ideas. And little by little, oh, this little cloak is doing me no good. God's given me all these responsibility. I can pass on prayer night tonight. I can pass on fasting. You used to fast, but oh, we're so busy and we busy ourselves with all of these little things, don't we? And we take off that which we should keep on and we put on that which we should keep off. Mind now what matters later. And can I tell you what matters in the kingdom? and you never grow out of this, humility. Humility. Say humility. Because you know what? Satan knows. He knows he cannot stop the calling of God on your life. Satan knows what Christ paid for you on the cross. And he knows that he can only use you to stop you. He uses our desires, our appetites, that which we gravitate towards. 
Can I tell you the most dangerous thing in Christianity is not the devil. It's not demons. It's not fallen angels. It's not curses. It's not hexes or vexes or any of those things. They're absolutely dangerous. Don't get me wrong. But the most dangerous things is a mix of a little bit of God and you and me. Our desires mixed or mingled with God's desires. The most dangerous gospel is this. Jesus and. Maybe I should go home. Jesus and. Incorporating him. He is all in all. Jesus is everything. You can have everything else with him and you are the poorest person on the earth. You can have him without any of that stuff and you are the richest man and woman on the earth. Come on, say amen to that. I wish I had three or four people that actually believes that. I believe that the body of Christ is going through the greatest test. And one of these tests is this right here. There is no, I'm almost done. There is no real revival that will come without sanctification. I'm like 80. You said when I was a little boy, I looked, she, she said I was all wrinkled and I looked like an old man. She said I had muscles. <laughs> so I kind of preached like an old man for being in my 30s, but sanctification. Sanctif what is sanctification? Set apart. Being apart. A lot of people say, why has Jesus not come yet? They've been talking about this for 40 years. You know, I, you know people who are getting married, they come to me. And I'm kind of like the guy that determines like, hey, what have you done so far? Like, have you, you know, what prep have you made? Because let's be honest. Not everybody who's get, who gets married is ready. Come on, all the married people, say amen. It's been 20 years and y'all still like, was I ready? You know what I believe is going to hasten his coming? Is a sanctified bride without spot or wrinkle. And pride is one of those ugly things that hide. It hides. It hides behind performance and success, being seen. You know what God honors above anything in the Bible? Humility. Can we stand to our feet? Humility. I didn't get into half the stuff I wanted to dive into today. But I want to read something to you. There's a quote by Smith Wigglesworth. Let's be honest. Everybody who served Jesus serves him currently. Like in their lives, we call ourselves a Christian. I'm speaking to me when I say this. You want to know how to kill the desires that are not of God in your life? Do you want to know? Desire God. 
and you will have God's desires. If we're honest, we desire things, things, people, promotion. Desire God and you will have God's desires. Listen to what John chapter two says. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana. Now note this, this is Jesus's very first miracle in the Bible. Very first one. He didn't do it. This is, this is the very first one. When he, when he came out of the wilderness, first miracle. Say first miracle. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Worship team, you, might, you can come up if you'd like. And when they had ran out of wine, now that's a good excuse for some of the drinkers out there. It was a joke. When they had ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, he knew what she was doing. I knew what you were up to, mom. He said, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Can I tell you how you know you're humble? Humble people never feel ready. Prideful people always feel ready. Always ready. I'm ready. They'll put it on the resume and everything and they'll figure it out as they go along. You did that, Rick? Just kidding. Listen what the Amplified Version says. Jesus said to her, Dear woman, what is it that you... What is that to you and to me? My time to act and to be revealed has not yet come. John chapter 24, same verse in the Message Bible says this. Jesus said, is that any of your business, mother? Mom, I'd never talk to you like that, by the way. Is that any of our business, mother? Yours or mine? This isn't my time. Don't push me. That's what it says. Always remember this. Do you see on that pinnacle that the devil is pushing Jesus to be revealed? The safest, surest way of the cross in your relationship with Jesus. James, you want to know how promotion has always come in my life? Somebody has to drag me into it. Oh, Let's not even start with why the church got started. I said, no way. No way. Two of my tactics in walking with the Lord is this. I never walk out of a door. The Lord has to force me out. That's a good one. Keep that. You want to know what's of the Lord? Make them kick you out. Instead of saying, my season is up. That's what people use to sound holy and don't have endurance and don't know how to wait on the Lord. So the way I've always done it, doesn't matter what it is, even in business, work, ministry, you name it. Lord, you're gonna have to kick me out of here. I have literally have been, you know, you can't be here no more kind of thing. Because I was ready to serve until 
you kick me out. So at a job, no matter how hard, this, this is where, you know, I'm so not impressed with people who start stuff. Not impressed. Start a business, start a job, start a family. I'm impressed with people who finish what they started. It is sad to me in the body of Christ how many people say, you know, the Lord had me start this and all of a sudden God's called me to walk out of it. First of all, God doesn't interrupt himself. He's a gentleman. See? He didn't have you start that and then start this over here because he's a finisher. I said he's a finisher. Whatever he starts, he finishes. He even stood and talked to his father and said, look, let this cup pass from me. You know what I found out? Is most people want Jesus' will, but they don't want to drink the cup. Your cup might be standing right next to you. I've always wanted to do that. But sticking it out, I'm about to close, sticking it out, sticking it out, sticking it out. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will. But listen, here's the other thing. Because promotion doesn't come from the east or the west, it comes from above. How you know it's real promotion in the kingdom is you won't have to put your heel in the door. You won't have to tell everybody the 10 things that you're great at, at your job. It'll be an evident, the anointing will be evident. The multitudes would come to Jesus. Jesus, they would try to take him captive to become king and he would run through the crowd and run the other way. And where would he go? The mountain. He would resist elevation. That's humility. Even when elevation comes, fight against it. Don't burn the bridges. Everybody hearing what I'm saying? Because this is rich, at least to me, it's rich to me. It doesn't, the, it doesn't taste good to the flesh because the flesh always wants promotion. And we quote scriptures like that we go from faith to faith and glory to glory. But the Bible says go from humility to go, go to humility and go to humility and find out as low as you can go because when we are weak, then he is strong. And when you finally lose yourself or I lose myself, then we find him. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's just bow our heads for a moment as I close. Father, I pray for the body of Christ, my own life, and these represented here today. I pray, Holy Spirit, I, I sense so deeply that we are, some of, some, so many of us are at the precipice of going through our own temptations, own struggles. Just like Jesus went in the wilderness to be tested three times, tested in his flesh regarding the stones being turned into bread, he got tested on the pinnacle, he got tested in the area of pride, and he got tested in the way of his eyes. We'll get to that at another date, but I believe that the body of Christ is going through this level of warfare because of testing. Jesus is making his bride ready, and he's not coming back for a stained bride. He's coming back for a pure bride without a spot or without a wrinkle 
who's pride-free. Not a church who's led by the flesh, but by the Spirit. That's what he's after. I want you to have an honest, inward look at yourself today. Search your heart. In Psalms 129, I believe it is. Psalms 139, excuse me. David, the psalmist, said, Search me, O God, try me, and see if there's any wicked way in me. This is what made David so powerful, and I can't think about a better example of someone who had an an anointing within. And I can't think of a better example than Saul, King Saul, the first king in the Old Testament who had an anointing not within, but only without who could still function as a king and Jesus was no longer there. Gifted without God is the worst place to be. Where his gift remains, but his character and his presence have lifted. And here's the sad part. Nobody knows it but me and you. And my prayer is for the church for the body of Christ at large is is we get back to a place of purity and of holiness, righteousness. Without holiness, no man would see the Lord. Father, this morning, I pray your mighty hand of grace would rest upon each one. Whoever's going through a storm this morning, a struggle, a temptation, temptation to quit and give up, temptation to be prideful in whatever situation it is that they're facing. Maybe there's someone in this room that's saying, I've waited long enough. Be careful when you start feeling you've waited long enough and you want to start trying in your own strength. I feel that for somebody this morning. Lord, sanctify us. Come on, can we just lift our hands? Put your hands right out in front of you. Lord, I ask for your mighty hand of grace to rest upon each and every single one because we know, Lord, you set an example. It wasn't just a story. I know, I know what it's like to go through the wilderness season and to be tempted when nobody's looking. I know what it feels like, Lord, to want to turn those stones into bread. I know what it's like I know what it's like to bring in the smoke and the lights. I know what it's like to allow my eyes to drift off of your beautiful face. I pray for the body of Christ, Lord, every temptation they face. Pray your strength and your grace would keep them. And may your mighty anointing grow on the inside of each and every one of us. Your mighty anointing. Come on, ask him. Would you do that? Just ask him, ask him. Like lay your hands on your own belly. Lord, grow us in that inner anointing, that keeping anointing that would keep us holy, keep us pure, keep us righteous, keep us close to your heart. That's my prayer for every person under the sound of my voice who cares about the giftings, Lord. If we don't have you, we have nothing. We have nothing. If we have a big church without you, we have nothing. If we have a business without you, we have nothing. If we have a a wife or family, husband, children without you, we have nothing. 
Lord, may your keeping anointing fall upon each and every one because you are coming for a spotless bride without wrinkle. I pray that for the body this morning. May the power of your spirit rest and fall upon each one. Each one. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive. Receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Receive Jesus' purity. Receive His righteousness. Receive His keeping grace. Receive His strength. If you've been feeling weak lately, come on, just ask the Lord to fill you with a strength that you've never known before. Ask Him for a supernatural deposit. Come on, you can't keep you. Only the Lord Himself can keep you. Only the Lord Himself can keep that marriage. Only the Lord Himself can keep you from lust. Only the Lord Himself can keep you from climbing the ladder without Jesus. Keep us, Lord, hidden in the palm of your hand and in your shadow. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The Holy Spirit fall upon each one. Each one. Each one. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.